Hello and welcome to yet another episode of A Real Horror Podcast here on DiaboliqueMagazine.com. I do hope you've all been having a fantastic time while we've been away, but now we are back. We have got a phenomenal lineup of talent this month for you. I can't quite believe it. We have got the fantastic cast from the awesome new horror film, We Are Still Here. Uh, that is Barbara Crampton and Andrew Sensodig later on the show. And coming up now, we have got a short interview with the phenomenal genre filmmaker, the man who brought us The Howling, Gremlins, The Burbs, and his latest, Burying the X. Yes, that's correct. We have none other than Joe Dante on the show. Can't quite believe it. It's phenomenal. And that is coming up now. Enjoy. Hi, Joe. How are you doing today? Fine. How are you? I'm good, sir. I'm good. I saw the uh, movie in New York on the on the big screen, and it was fantastic. On I really enjoyed screen. it. You were the one. Yeah, I know. I saw it at the screening at the AMC on 42nd Street. It it, uh, it was really good fun. Oh, good. And um, so, how did that project, Burying the X, come to you, and what was it a, that appealed to you about the idea? Uh, the writer approached me with a script about seven years ago, um, which I was told it was expanded from a short that he had made, which I actually have never seen. Um, and uh, what I liked about it was I thought it was, I liked the characters. I, I, liked, I liked the situation. I thought it was relatable. I thought there were a lot of people who have been in situations where they wanted to break up with somebody but didn't want to hurt their feelings and stayed in the relationship longer than they should have. And I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, I liked it. I liked it. They had two, two good female characters. And... Um, I, the fact that it was a zombie movie was kind of, you know, incidental. I, I, I just liked the situation. To me, it was more of a screwball comedy than a, than a zombie movie. Yeah. And the cast is uh, one of the great highlights of the film. Almost all your films have fantastic ensemble casts. What was the process of putting together this sort of strong, young ensemble? I can hardly remember because it was all put together so quickly. Uh, the money fell into place unexpectedly, and uh, there was a time limit on it. Uh, and we somehow managed to cobble together uh, these four actors who, as it turned out, just happened to be the exact right actors for the parts. Uh, and um, it's, it was, it's, it's to the movie's benefit, believe me. I mean, if, if there's anything to like about the movie, it's, it's the cast, because I think they're fun to watch, and they were certainly fun to work with. Yeah, no, they were fantastic. And how did they deal with the special makeup effects and stunt work required in the film? Some actors love it and others can have real problems. Well, you know, we didn't really have time to complain. <laughs> we made it so quickly. Um, but uh, it was most difficult for Ashley because, of course, she had to be in the makeup and we weren't shooting in sequence, so we had to have a chart of exactly what state of decomposition she was in each day. Um, and that takes a lot of time to get into, and it takes time to get out of, so you have to you know, schedule that, too. And as far as the stunt stuff goes, they did as much of it themselves as they could, because they were, they, young actors tend to be into that. They, they, they like to do their own stunts where possible, and, uh, and, and you generally let them as long as it's safe, but, uh, you know, also you have to have experienced people around to you know, throw them across the room and might as well be a stunt person because you don't want to break any teeth. Right. And uh, this was obviously an independent, low-budgeted film. Um, do you feel the challenges of that, or do you like the challenges of that? Well, there's, 
there's pros and cons. I mean, the the, the, the pro is that uh, you know you're there's a lot less people looking down your throat while you're making the movie because you're not spending a great deal of money. Uh, but on the other hand, because you're not spending a great deal of money, you don't have a lot of time and you don't have a lot of wherewithal in terms of uh, bells and whistles that you would ordinarily have on a, on a big movie. Uh, so you have to just sort of steer yourself to say, okay, this is the this is the parameters of the movie that we're going to make and here's the time we have to do it and here's how we're going to allow our time and we're going to spend more time on this and less time on that um, in order to you know make the best movie you can under the circumstances. Definitely. And with films like Gremlins, The Burbs, The Hole, and now this, you've made a sort of great name for yourself doing, you know, teen-friendly horror or comedy horror. Uh, what appeals about that mix? And does Joe Dante actually have a dark side? Is there an adult Joe Dante movie? <laughs> well, there's, a, there's been a couple of adult Joe Dante movies. Uh, the Howling was kind of an adult movie. But I haven't done a lot of R-rated movies, um, of which this is one of them. Uh, largely because there's so many. Uh, we, we, tried, we wanted to get a PG for this, and uh, they said we had to have an R. And we said, well, but there's, there's really no nudity in it, and there's not much violence. And they said, yes, but all they do is talk about getting laid. That <laughs> <laughs> hadn't occurred to us. Um, I've, got, uh, I've, done, I've done some stuff that doesn't have kids in it. I, I, as I look back, I, people are pointing out that, well, you, but you, you all these little kids, and you don't have any of your own. What's with that? Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm just attracted to stories that are, are like coming-of-age stories or, or something. Uh, I don't know. But um, I, 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 I have a dark side. Yeah. It's in there. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, because I didn't really mean that they necessarily uh, either involve kids or for kids, but I mean that they are. they tend to be films that sort of, a majority of people can watch, you know what I mean, rather than necessarily being extreme horror. There's a nice mix to them. But also what's great about the films is there's always a, a subversive edge, and I think that's, you know, like the great fairy tales or like the great, you know, like someone like Roald Dahl or someone like that. There's always a great uh, subversive side to that. Muppets, Looney Tunes, of course, they have it as well. Well, I think that comes from my upbringing. I mean, a lot of Mad Magazine, you know, um, a lot of satire. Uh, a, lot, a lot of Roald Dahl, which I used to read all the time. Um, and, uh, and, and growing up in the 1950s, which was a, a, a great time to be subversive because everything that was going on in the society was ripe for, um, for spoofing. Uh, and uh, that, that sort of continued with me uh, in, in, in my absurdist worldview that I've held for a lot of these many years. Yeah, exactly. And you've you've tackled zombies once before uh, for a Masters of Horror episode, Homecoming, that has a great kind of satirical edge to it. Actually gets more relevant with each year that passes, sadly. Um, but were there any plans to ever expand that into a feature or indeed just to do a more satirical mass zombie style film as a feature? Well, I never really could have gotten away with making that episode of Masters of Horror anywhere else but on that program because uh, I, I certainly never could have made it as a feature because no one would bankroll it. Uh, I couldn't do it as a television show because of the sponsors. Um, this was really the only venue um, for being able to, to make that movie. And it also came out of the fact that I, I was politically, you know, I was kind of pissed off at what was going on and uh, how my country was cheerleading for this useless war and all that stuff. And, and how how little comment or, or criticism there was of what was going on. And so it was sort of an oasis, in a, in a, in a wasteland 
just to be able to make that movie. And, and I mean, three times I only took it to Europe and ran it in film festivals, and people were giving it all sorts of accolades far beyond its actual worth, simply because there was evidence that there were people in America who weren't buying this this Kool-Aid nonsense. Yeah, no, of course. And it was nice to see a lot of the other fellow directors in that series do similar things. There was obviously, you know, John Carpenter did Pro-Life and some other things that was... Well, that was, that was what was great about that series. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really a shame that it uh, only lasted two seasons. And obviously, just recently, I wanted to touch on it, we sadly lost Rick Duckerman, of course, um, from The Burbs. Uh, and I couldn't have you here and not ask about The Burbs, just because it's seriously really one of my top five films of all time. I absolutely adore that film. Rick is a Amazing in it, and it's a fantastic ensemble. Uh, what was your one of your favorite stories from the set about the cast or about shooting it or something like that? Oh gosh, there are just so many. I mean, uh, you know, it, it was not a movie that was particularly appreciated uh, when it came out, um, but over the years it has grown in uh, in favor to the point that there are now uh, websites devoted to it and uh, fan clubs that people watch the movie and speak the dialogue it's, it's, it's almost Rocky Horror picture show level yeah. uh, and it's something that none of us could have predicted at the time because it just didn't, you know it just seemed like it was another Tom Hanks comedy it was like Turner and Hooch or something that was going to be there and then it was going to be gone and uh, for some reason um, and I can only assume that it's because of the cast because they did a lot of improvising because we shot during a writer's strike and so a lot of the funniest lines in the movie are actually just bad lips that came out of you know People said it while the camera was on, and so we left it in. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's got a it's got its own it's got its own following. It's really quite remarkable. It, it, it may have eclipsed Gremlins as the picture that I'm most often asked about. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously, Gremlins and Gremlins too. They have some fantastically bizarre bits in and some funny lines and things like that. But I don't know. There's something about the birds. I remember being whatever age I was when that came out and just renting it on VHS all the time, time and time again, over and over again. It was our movie as we were growing up. It was, uh, it was fantastic. So what was it like putting the humor into uh, Burying the X? Did it all come from the script, or was that there that kind of improvisational nature on the set as well? Well, you know, you, it's, it's hard to make a comedy without uh, giving the actors some room to improvise and so uh, there, there are a lot of lines in the, in the picture that were not in the script um, and there were a lot of things in the script that aren't in the movie because you know you, not everything always works when you shoot a picture and then you look at it and you say well this is just too long or this line isn't funny or you know whatever and, and so um, you know the, 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 the movie is the script but it does have a lot of embellishments particularly from Oliver Cooper who seems incapable of saying a line as written <laughs> Yeah, he was very funny in the film. And and how much of that, um, you know, uh, Anton Yelchin's character being, you know, into the old-style horror stuff, you know, working in, in, a, in, in a, a shop that was selling sort of very uh, uh, more sort of universal horror-era stuff and, and that period, um, how much of that came from you and how much of that was in the script to begin with? Well, it was in the script that he worked at Scary Mary's, it was called. Uh, I mean, they changed the title because there is a Scary Mary's. So. <laughs> Uh, and it was basically a Halloween store. And uh, I think probably my involvement, just a little further toward the movie memorabilia part with the magazines and the posters and all that stuff. Um, but it also gave me the opportunity to, to put clips in. Uh, because when I would go to the Hollywood Book and Poster, which is a store in Hollywood that's recently folded, uh, they would always have a, a, a t 
TV on, uh, promoting whatever VHSs that they were selling. And so when you walk in, you're just as often likely to see King Kong or, you know, a scene from a vampire movie as you, as you were to buy a magazine. And so I thought, well, that's, that's something we can, you know, we can cut to occasionally. It's always good to have a cutaway, and if your cutaway happens to have Peter Cushing in it, then that's all the better. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get Cushing or uh, Vincent Price or Christopher Lee or someone in the movie, that's the best way to do it. Well, there's um, a lot of Chris in it. There's a lot of, uh, lot of Christopher Lee stuff in it. Yeah. Who you had the pleasure of working with on Gremlins 2, of course. Do you have a, a particular yes, Christopher Lee story? For many years. Uh, it's very sad that uh, he passed away, but, you know, he was 93 and uh, had an amazing career. He's still got unreleased movies. And, you know, last year he did his second heavy metal album. So, yeah. you know, I, I'd say that was quite a life. Oh, no, definitely, definitely. And I was also very uh, privileged to be at the Dick Miller screenings that they had at the Anthology Archives in New York and uh, got to meet the cast of the Gremlins and uh, couldn't obviously have you on the show without asking you about Dick Miller. Did you see the documentary? What did you think of it? I have seen the documentary. I think there's a little too much of me in it, but I think <laughs> otherwise it's, it's terrific. Um, I wish I could have been at the, uh, at the New York screening, but I, I, I just wasn't able to go. Um, but the doc- uh, I think the documentary is wonderful, and, and uh, it, it's particularly funny how it ends with him, you know, saying that he's retired and then sitting by the telephone waiting for it to ring. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, of course, he, he has a fantastic cameo in Burying the X. It's just, uh, it's one of the delights. So when when... he came out of his supposed retirement. <laughs> <laughs> when he came on screen, in the screening that I was in, when he came on screen, there was an audible kind of uh, gasp of happiness throughout the uh, collected people watching the film. Film, so. Oh, that's nice. I'll have to tell them that. Yeah, no, definitely. So, um, lastly... You're with Diabolic, right? Sorry, I'm with, yeah, Diabolic. Uh, magazine. Oh, it's a fantastic magazine, and uh, wonderful people who run it, and I just uh, I just got involved online and um, have been putting together this podcast as and when we can talk to people called A Real Horror Show, uh, which obviously has a sort of double meaning. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, we've got Barbara Crampton coming on and, and yourself and some other people. Oh, so. say hello. I know Barbara. She's Oh, yeah, she's fantastic. And uh, her new movie uh, is just, uh, We Are Still Here, is just tremendous. So um, we got to talk to her about that, which is great. Um, so lastly, sir, just before you leave, is there anything you learned uh, coming from the Roger Corman school that you still use consciously today and still rings true no matter the budget? Only everything. Okay. Everything you learn at Rogers, you use. And it doesn't matter whether you have, you know, a lot of money or no money. There's still only a certain amount of time between when you say action and when you say cut, and that's the only part that makes any, it's if that's important at all. Uh, and so you, you find ways to mag, uh, make the most of the time that you've got to actually expose film. No, not that we expose film anymore, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on the show, Joe. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. I'm a huge fan and own all your films, so uh, thanks ever oh, so much. It was it was a real a real uh, pleasure for me personally, and uh, I'll uh, be putting the uh, information out when the the show goes up and uh, send you the links and so on. So thanks, John. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Bye. Hello. Thank you for listening to a real horror show presented by Diabolique. This podcast doesn't work without your loyalty and feedback, so please post a comment on the website, rate and review us on iTunes, or email the show at a real horror podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> 
I am also always looking for great new horror-related films, books, comics, and music. So please don't hesitate to write to a real horror podcast at gmail.com. Get involved, and together we can make this a great show. <laughs> And now my exclusive interview with horror icon Scream Queen, star of films such as From Beyond, Reanimator, Castle Freak, You're Next, and her latest, We Are Still Here. It is the phenomenally talented and wonderful Barbara Crampton. Welcome, Barbara, to the Diabolique podcast, A Real Horror Show. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to get to speak to you again. Pleasure is mine as well. Thank you. We last spoke, I think, a little over three years ago on my show, mm-hmm. The After Movie Diner, when you were promoting your next. Um, firstly, can I say uh, congratulations on that movie? It was one of my favorites, and it was a joy to see you on the big screen again. Um, it was a joy to do it. Thank you. Oh, yeah, it's a great film. I've watched this several times since on Blu-ray. Um, since then, you've hit the ground running with several projects slated to come out over the next couple of years. Uh, we'll get to some of those mm-hmm. in a minute. But the latest one that I recently thoroughly enjoyed in the cinema, again on the big screen, which is always fan- fun, uh, was We Are Still Here. So tell us how that yeah. film came about. Well, uh, actually, you mentioned your next, and Ted Gagan, the writer-director of We Are Still Here, was one of the publicists working on your next. So oh, I, I met him. Yeah, I met him during that time. And we just really struck a chord with one another, uh, really got one another, and we became fast friends and had kept in touch over the next couple of years. And he sent me uh, this script just to read and give him my thoughts on. And uh, he didn't tell me at the time that he was thinking of me for one of the parts initially, um, though he he didn't tell me. Um, and I, I gave him some feedback. I told him I thought the script was really lovely and wonderful and really liked the characters, and that was that. And um, he did a little bit more rewriting on it, and then about two months later he came back to me and said, you know, um, I actually am thinking about you, really want you for the part of Anne. And I said, oh, great, because I was thinking I actually could play that part. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that he had um, a couple of people interested, uh, like Travis Stevens, who, um, whose career I had been following for quite a long time with uh, Star and um, Cheap Thrills, The Aggression Scale, and and thought a lot about uh, all the movies that he had done recently. And and he also had Dark Sky interested. And so I got really excited about that. I thought, well, maybe we'll be able to make this movie. And maybe two weeks later, he called me back and he said, yes, we're making it. We've got the money. Uh, We're going to do it. It's just going to be a couple of months from now, we're going to fly you out to New York, and and that's where we're going to shoot the movie. So um, it happened like that, and uh, I was really excited to work with somebody that I had become friends with and also who wrote a part that was tailored for me, you know, another mother role. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But unlike your next, I actually get to do a little bit more in this movie and make it to the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was quite exciting for me at my age to 
have a really big part in a, in a wonderful movie and one that harkens back to, you know, the late 70s, early 80s and is somewhat of a homage to Lucio Fulci and Lovecraft and all the things that I'm familiar uh, with working mm-hmm. on. And uh, it was turned out to be a great experience for all of us, working with Larry and Andrew and, and Lisa and Travis and Kareem Hussein. Our DP was just fantastic, um, made me look better than I could have ever hoped. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really happy all around with the, with the experience. Yeah, and it it led to producing a fantastic film. Um, The role of Anne almost felt a bit like an extension of your character in Your Next in the sense that they're both sort of troubled mothers. But obviously Anne's, Mm. as you just alluded to there, obviously Anne's story arc is longer, it's deeper, it's far more developed. So what were the challenges for you sort of bringing her to life? Because I think anyone who follows you on Twitter or Facebook would imagine you to be a very sort of upbeat and positive person, uh, yet these roles seem sort of somber by comparison. How do you find that within yourself? Yes, very much so. Well, with your next, um, that character, you know, she, uh, the writer, um, Simon Barrett alluded to the fact that maybe she had some psychological problems, um, internal anxieties. Uh, there was a couple of scenes in that movie where I actually had to um, take some pills and they cut a couple of those scenes out because they weren't really necessary for the movie. Um, and also that I, I wasn't drinking, but so, you know, maybe I wasn't mixing the, the alcohol with the pills. Um, so he wanted her to be, you know, sort of a, a, a conflicted, uh, a little disturbed kind of, you know, woman of, uh, of all these children, rich, you know, wealthy woman. Um, and in that movie, I had to be further disturbed by the fact that I watched my daughter die on screen. Yeah. Um, and so for that movie, I really uh, had to dig deep kind of in the moment and just put myself in the place of thinking if I ever lost one of my children. And um, we shot that scene over, you know, a whole day period. So I had to kind of just keep myself you know, in that state of mind. Um, and subsequently, in the ADR sessions for the movie, uh, all the sound had to be redone for that scene. So when we did ADR, I had to put myself in that situation again. But it really was just like a sense memory kind of thing for that role. Um, and then for We Are Still Here, that was uh, quite a bigger challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Because I come into the movie having already lost my son in an auto accident and having been dealing with the grief and the depth of sorrow for probably a couple of months. And to make that believable for myself and for the audience, I interviewed two different women who had lost their children in auto accidents. One uh, was the mother of a very good friend of mine. So it was my friend's sister who died when she was about 20. Um, And the other was a woman who was helping me um, with my, with my house. She was, she was an interior designer and she was helping me redecorate my kitchen. And I, I actually didn't know that she had lost her, uh, a child and her only child in an auto accident until 
um, one day I said to her, do you have any children? And uh, she looked at me for, for maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds with so many different facial expressions before she said, you know, I, I did. I had a son at one time, but he's not with me any longer. And then, you know, she revealed to me what was going on. And it was actually around the time that I was doing some research for the character. So I asked her if it was okay if I interviewed her. And she said it would be fine. And then um, the other lady uh, I asked as well, and, and they both said it was fine. So what I did was I sent them questions uh, online via email asking, you know, very probing um, queries about, you know, how, how, how did they feel? I mean, what, what was it like for them? Um, what was their relationship with the people around them? when it happened, uh, pretty much in every case I've ever heard of, you, you have a distance with your partner. Um, and I, that certainly was reflected, um, in Ted's writing and, and also in what I tried to, you know, play in, in certain scenes with her Mm -hmm. and, and, and Andrew Um, and, um, and also how do you, how do you live on a daily basis? And, you know, both women told me that they were just really tired all the time. It was just such a heavy burden to bear. You just have no energy. And sometimes it's hard to breathe. And, and the fact that she was also a little bit haunted by him in the movie, or she thinks that she's haunted by him in the movie, um, was something that both women told me, they looked for, they looked for little clues that, um, that their son or daughter was still with them and could feel them. Um, and, and so in asking these questions, I was able to compile, um, maybe three or four pages of information about how they dealt with life on a daily basis, how they viewed their life for the future. Um, how they felt inside, how they would act towards other people. Um, they both told me that they felt really strange about being in other people's company and, and felt awkward and, and really didn't know how to communicate with others. So with all these things I'm telling you, you can see they gave me a lot of information and I would, I would uh, read these pages every day over coffee in the morning before we'd go to the set and they'd carry them with me. And sometimes for certain scenes, I'd refer back to them to to put myself in the situation uh, that they were both in. And um, it was, uh, was difficult to, to be there on, you know, every day for like something like 19 days. Um, But also I wanted to play her as having a little bit of a spark at different moments, because right. I think if you watch somebody who's going through that, um, it would be a little hard to take if you don't have some lighter moments. No, and, of course. Um, yeah, so certainly, you know, we tried to we tried to put those in as well, so there'd be a little musicality to her characterization. Yeah, and and can I just as a side question and plan, mm-hmm. but but have either women seen the film? Have they have they have they had follow up comments or? Yes, I, I you know they haven't um, yet. Okay. 
but uh, it's still early on. You know, the, the film's only been out for a few weeks. But, of course. Um, I think they probably will. Um, one fellow um, messaged me on Facebook recently, and um, he's actually someone who's friendly with both Ted and Travis. And uh, he sent me a private message and also sent them both a message and said that he had lost his daughter. He had twin daughters and lost one of his daughters in an accident, in an auto accident, and wanted us all to know that um, those moments of grief that I displayed on screen was pretty accurate to how he was feeling. So he, um, he just wanted to let us know that. And I, I messaged him back and and thanked him for that because it's, uh, you know, definitely my, it was my, um, desire to portray it and, and, um, as accurately, uh, as possible. You know, for, for for those people who have gone through that sort of thing. Yeah. So. And I think it. I mean, all all those things you're talking about, and those things that you you learn from those women, and so on and so forth. That really did come. That really did come across watching it, because there isn't mm-hmm. any. You know, the dialogue doesn't sort of uh, hammer it home or hit the nail on the head. A lot of it is coming from your performance, and that definitely does come across. Um, and, and what you were saying before about uh, um, adding shades to it and adding lightness to it and, and things, it's something that carries across uh, the exceptional cast uh, in this film that I felt you all brought out sort of every drop of dark humour and strangeness in the script mm-hmm. while also remaining totally believable as well as sort of people and characters. Yeah. What was it like to work with them, and, and what was sort of the collaborative process, especially of that core four um, mm-hmm. uh, ensemble that, that you have for the, the first kind of act and a half of the movie? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, you know, I had never met Andrew Sensening before, um, but I had seen a few things that he had done and and thought that, you know, he was a very strong actor. He, he'd come to acting quite late in life. Um, he, he started out... Um, doing a, a completely different type of job to make money for his family, but had always wanted to be an actor. And so I think he only started acting about 10 years ago, but he has a, the passion for it. And he's been, I, I mean, the guy has worked nonstop since he started yeah. and um, he has a real depth to him and, a, and, a, and, a, and also um, a lot of really um, strong, positive energy and uh, he's a very likable person, Andrew, and um, very sweet and uh, intelligent. And um, he and I worked on the scenes a lot together, just reading them together and talking about them and, and how we both thought that we felt in each scene. And I think there was a nice balance um, to the uh, to our playing opposites of one another, I was very, you know, more moody and more dark about and sad about uh, not having my son around. And and he was, you know, trying to sort of bolster me out of that. And um, that was another thing that both women had told me that when one person is really down, the other person is the one that has to bring the other one up. You know, you, you sort of help that other person. So for me, I was the one that was down and, and, and having a hard time. And he was the one that was, you know, trying to uh, make it a little bit better for me and, and trying to be the stronger one. Um, and Ted wrote in the dialogue, some wonderful moments where we 
had the opportunity to finish one another's sentences. And I think that made us stronger as a couple. It made us, it made uh, the viewer feel that, you know, we were really in one another's minds, you know? Um, and, and I really liked that Ted wrote that in and a few people have commented about that in their, in their reviews that we finish each other's sentences and, you know, you see a lot of couples doing that. Um, so I, yeah, so I like that. And, um, no, the chemistry was great. It felt, like I said, it felt mm -hmm. completely believable in, in, in the setup of Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I really think that when you work with anybody, you really have to fall in love with them a little bit. And so I, at the time that I was working with Andrew, and we got along great, by the way. We we would go on little errands together on the days that we weren't working. We'd have dinner together. We'd have drinks together in the evening. We'd send each other texts and emails. And I really made a point to allow myself to fall in love with him. And, and that was pretty easy because he's a really great guy. Um, and so I would look for little things that he would do that would you know, sort of delight me or make me laugh. And, um, I would just allow myself to, uh, to be influenced by that. Um, when we were off screen and when we were on screen, you know, I, I really felt like he was my best friend there. So, um, so it was great working with him. And, um, and I, I know Larry's work because I've been following him for years and I was really excited to work with him. Um, Ted, Ted also told me that he had Larry in mind for that part from the very beginning as well. Um, and Larry is uh, uh, an incredibly complex and um, inventive actor. Uh, he had to come up with, you know, some crazy voices and and do some, um, you know, do some special effects work and mm. um, and and also be very real and believable and, and be sort of a counterpoint in tone with Andrews and my character and, and, and allow the audience to have a little, you know, chuckle and laugh a few times. So, so he was um, really um, wonderful at that. And I, I just really had a great time uh, working with him and, and Lisa Marie, I had never met and um, she's, you know, as spiritual and as sweet and kind as her character. I mean, I really feel like that character is is so much of who she is as a person. Yeah. And she and I have become very good friends since this, and that we've been keeping in touch and, and seeing one another. So um, I, I'd say all in all, it was a really um, wonderful set to work with in terms of the cast and, and also with Travis and Kareem's energy there. Um, Travis was uh, an amazing producer, really creative, but also knows everything about the nuts and bolts of putting together a movie and was able to talk to any department and and help them and, and steer them uh, in ways that they needed to go to, to get the job done. Yeah. And, um, and creatively as well, he's wonderfully creative and and really expressive and, and able to communicate very well with everyone. And uh, Kareem Hussein is just fantastic as a photographer and and worked very hard with with all of us in our scenes and, you know, would uh, make suggestions about, you know, 
the placement of our bodies or, you know, our head or, you know, we were looking, um, and he was just has such attention to detail that, um, I really got a, a, a really wonderful feeling out of working with him, feeling very supported by him at every moment. Yeah. And the film is full of this great sort of uh, atmosphere. It's very evocative. And it also appears mm. to have been filmed in the dead of a very frigid, icy winter. What was it like to mm-hmm. work through that? And, and what was sort of a typical day kind of coping with that on set like? The first few days were bitingly cold. And I mean... I don't know, maybe 20 degrees below zero when we would get up at 5.30 in the morning sure. and have to go to the set and, you know, get our makeup on and whatever. Um, it was frigid, and it was uh, it was a very... Uh, it made us all have a very tightened feeling at the beginning, especially since, you know, it was the beginning of filming, and, you know, we were all getting to know one another and all feeling each other out. And so those first few days of filming, I think it helped us because we shot... Uh, a lot of the first parts of the movie in those first few days. So we were feeling very cold and very much like we wanted to protect ourselves and, and um, very exposed and open and wanting to cover ourselves. So I think uh, that's very similar to what um, Anne and Paul were feeling in the beginning of the movie. So that definitely helped us. Um, But, and it was, but it was also beautiful. I mean, the scenes, you know, where the car is taking off and, and, and the townspeople are coming and, you know, different times when, when you saw the snow and, um, and the landscape, I, I think it was actually quite beautiful. So, uh, we were very happy that really the weather cooperated and there was plenty of snow at the time that we were filming. Yeah, no, definitely. It was also sort of interesting because, Again, your next starts with that, uh, with you driving mm-hmm. along, and and it's autumnal because I think there are no leaves on the trees, right? It's coming up to sort of autumn or, or early mm-hmm. winter, and then this is sort of in the dead of winter. You get is the next one, in, and the next one's called Sunchoke, right? Is the next one in the um, yeah, yeah, right. I yeah, don't know. It's very I just funny. Know I, <laughs> you know, a couple of people have mentioned that to me, but not as many as I thought would. Right. The, the, the movies start the same, where the couple is driving up to this home, right. and they're talking about something in the car, and they drive up, and then they land at the house. Yeah, so very, very similar openings, you're right. Um, but, um, yeah, so, again, with the, when you were filming it, uh, this film, uh, you're back in the world of practical effects and gore mm-hmm. again. Um, yeah. I, possibly, I don't know, but possibly, like, the first time, uh, obviously, obviously, you're next, but first time in a long time since, since you were back in horror movies back in sort of the 80s and early 90s. So uh, what right. is, do you relish that side of the job, the, the gore and the effects, or can it be sort of time-consuming and uncomfortable, especially in the cold as well? Well, it wasn't as bad for me as it was for some of the other people because I didn't have any of the special effects, you know, attached to my body or on me. I was reacting to them. A few times I, you know, there were things in front of me without giving away the story where I had to react to to people that were in front of me or, you know, horrible things that were happening and and such. But um, I mostly worked with practical special effects. So it, it all felt normal and natural to me. Um, there's a little bit of CGI, um, for the, uh, Dagmar family that they added in at the very end, um, which enhances the fact that they're actually burn victims. Um, and I think that worked quite well. 
Um, but I, I do think for me, you know, since I've had the opportunity to work with mostly practical special effects, that there's a very visceral experience that you have really being with, uh, the other actor and, and they're actually in the makeup and, you know, in character and they're feeling it themselves. So of course I would opt for that any day of the week. Um, and it seems to be actually more in fashion coming back into fashion now, um, that I think, you know, for the past maybe few years it wasn't, but now a lot of people are really relishing working with that again. So that suits me just fine. I, I really enjoy, you know, really being there with the blood and with yeah. the exploding, you know, body parts and um, oh, it's great. with the burn victims right in front of me. Yeah, there's more to react to, I yeah. think. I know it's it's definitely one of those movies that seems to start with a clean slate, and by the end there isn't one bit of it that isn't tarnished with some form of gore or body part. So that's kind of fun. Right. I enjoyed that about it a lot. Um, yeah, I think it starts out as one movie, and then and then it sort of goes in a direction that you don't expect, which right. I think is part of its charm. Yeah, well, it has aspects of so many different things. I mean, I just uh, it just continually surprised me throughout it was it was very entertaining and fantastic and ted gagan who i had the pleasure of meeting in new york at the screening mm. and um who hopefully be coming on the show in the fall when the the dvd blu-ray comes out to talk about the film again right. um Great. he's obviously better known or has been up until this point as a writer producer um but what mm-hmm. was new different and fresh about him and then what similarities does he share with someone like a Stuart gordon who you obviously always be linked with well I think with Ted, um, he had, like Stuart, I think they both had the story in their minds very much. Um, they really saw the whole film from beginning, middle to end. And there were moments when I, when there was things I didn't quite understand because there was a lot going on. You know, there's my, I'm being haunted supposedly by my son, there are some townspeople that are a little off. Mm-hmm. And also there's um, some uh, some uh, victims that are potentially in our house. Are they haunting us? And also something deeper that, that was uncovered years ago. So there's many layers to the story. And at different times, I wasn't quite sure exactly what I should be reacting to, especially, you know, when some crazy, uh, spooky things would happen in the house. So uh, many times I would say, Ted, is it, what are we doing in this moment? Is it this that I'm reacting to? Or is it this? Is it this? And, and he would stop and he, and he knew and he would think about it and he would think about the, you know, the way that he needed to, you know, tell me to, to react to whatever it was. Sometimes it was multiple things. Um, so, I, but many times I just have to trust him and say, okay, what is it now? Where are we now? What are we doing? Um, and so he was very effective at getting his point across. And, um, and I, and I felt the same way about Stuart Gordon. I, I feel like both men, you know, see the movie in their minds. Um, and, I can't say that about every director I've worked with, that they see, really see the movie. Um, And maybe because both of them are also writers, you know, Stuart has collaborated many times with Dennis Paoli and, and, um, 
and Ted, of course, you know, is the writer of this of this piece and also uh, collaborated on the story with somebody else. But um, it really does come from his mind. Um, and I feel that he was uh, Ted was very collaborative um, with everyone on the set and really wanted others' opinions on uh, everything and would listen to whatever anybody had to say, but also really let us do our jobs and really trusted us. So that was nice. Um, yeah, so uh, mm -hmm. I, I hope I get to work with him again. I, it was a, a great experience to be directed by him. Yeah, that would be fantastic to see another one like this. Um, so when you were first in horror films, you were always in sort of the interesting, offbeat, weird and wonderful ones, and then you stepped away from the genre for a while, bypassing sort of all the self-referential 90s movies that came out and the found footage movies and any remakes mm. and things. That's kind of the genre became for a while. But when you step mm -hmm. back into the genre again, it's, again, in these cool, weird, wonderful, independent films... Uh, where all the sort of new, go good, solid horror is coming from, it seems to be, anyway. So how do you pick new projects like that? And, Barbara, have we got you to thank for horror being awesome again? <laughs> oh, that's, well, that's for you to judge, um, but I, I thank you for that question. Um, you know, I, I bypassed some of the um, the 90s horror only because I've been raising my children. Right. Um, I moved I moved up to San Francisco from L.A. with my husband because he was transferred with his job. And I really uh, wasn't thinking I was going to come back to acting at all. Um, and was very surprised when I was offered the role um, in Your Next. And uh, I had two weeks notice before I did that. And and did it sort of as a lark and didn't know that it was going to, you know, turn out as wonderful as it did. And after I did that movie, I had so much fun. I told my agent, I'd really like to act again. This has been a wonderful experience and, and something that I hadn't realized that I missed so much. So, you know, start looking for some projects for me. Um, and so they did. And, um, and also after, People saw me in your next, and they went, oh, Barbara Crampton, she's still alive. Um, I did get a few offers, and um, I just started reading scripts, and uh, there's a few that I turned down, and, and um, you know, the ones that came my way that I've done, I've, I've really, uh, really enjoyed doing. Um, and uh, they've been all kind of different actually. Yeah. Um, I would say that we are still here as you were um, intimating is very close to, kind of to my character uh, at, at a starting point um, right. from your next, but um, the Just other so there's a similarity, but not a... Yeah, <clears throat> similarity, yeah. but but you know they're mothers, they're mothers and they're and uh right. and they're caretakers and and there's another movie I did that's on the festival circuit right now where I play a caretaker. She's not really a mother, but she's taking care of this woman for most of her adult life, you know uh twenty maybe twenty seven years yeah um and and she's a caretaker in the mother role, but she's of a little bit more questionable character, I would say so that was an interesting thing for me to play. And, uh, I, you know, that's playing all different festivals now. So I hope we'll be getting to see that soon. Nice. And, Is that Sunchoke? Um, <laughs> that's Sunchoke. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, um, 
And then I did another movie called The Divine Tragedies, where I play a very questionable mother who's not very nice at all. Nice. Um, that has yet to play any festivals, but hopefully that will be coming out soon. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I have a small part in um, Tales of Halloween, which is supposed to come out uh, this Halloween. Um, That's like 10 short stories, sort of a collection right. of things by different horror directors and featuring sort of quite a quite a great cast of uh, genre yeah. actors. Yeah. Yes, quite a, quite a few people who are, are known in the horror genre are working uh, on this movie and uh, some really wonderful directors. And um, Neil Marshall so I saw on the for, list, and he's and Neil fantastic. Marshall, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And then... I did another movie last summer. It's uh, it's called Road Games, and um, I speak a little French in that movie. Okay. And it's about a serial killer, but you don't know who the serial killer is until the end of the movie. Nice. And um, that was uh, really fun for me to play, and that's going to be... Uh, have its world premiere at Fright Fest. Okay, cool. Um, coming up soon um, at the end of, uh, let's see, when does that play? The end of August, I think, yeah. Nice. And I saw you recently just on social media talking with and obviously being also being uh, praised by another couple of fantastic women in the horror genre who are just making everything mm. uh, uh, new and interesting mm-hmm. they do with their genre films, the Soska Twins, who um, are yeah. oh, they're just fantastic. And they're being very prolific as well. Has there been any talk of you guys working together? Um, no, we haven't really talked about it. Um, that would be wonderful if I was ever fortunate enough to work with them. I, I was on the jury at Fantastic Fest for their movie, American Mary, when it premiered. Such a good film. Love that film. I loved it. So I met them there, and um, I actually had seen their movie, Dead Hooker in a Trunk, before yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And so I've been following their career a little bit, and I think um, they're really creative and have so much good, positive energy that they're throwing around. Uh, the horror genre right now, they are very uh, supportive and uplifting of so many other people working in the industry, whether they're actors or directors or producers. They they have given us a big shot in the arm, and, and they're delightful and sexy and smart and uh, just really wonderful women. So I, I just... I just love that they're in our sphere right now. I, I think uh, we're going to be seeing some more wonderful things from them forever. I, mean, oh, yeah. I think they, they're, they're they, just getting started. They announce yeah. a new project on their Facebook page almost every other month. I mean, it's crazy the kind of stuff they've got mm-hmm. going on. So, yeah, we, we, we definitely need to see you, I think, working with them. That would be terrific. Um, we also got a question on our Facebook group um, uh, people mm-hmm. see you having these great reanimator reunions at conventions and festivals yeah. and things. Any chance we see that cast and crew work together again? You and Stuart and you and Jeffrey and uh, Bruce Abbott and so on? Yeah, well, I'd love to do that. I mean, we, you know, we all really are quite fond of one another. Um, and I, I would love for that to happen. It's, it's really about a script and, and getting the money together. Um, so if somebody else could work on that for us, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully we'll make that happen. 
Yeah, that would be fantastic. Um, well, you know, obviously it sounds like you're enjoying it. We hope that uh, now that you've restarted your career in films that we can expect just more and more and more awesome Barbara Crampton movies from now on. Uh, you know, please don't go anywhere again. <laughs> Yeah, keep, thank keep. you. I'm I'm happy to be around. Excellent. Yeah, and uh and so yeah, wish you all the very best in the future. Uh we uh-huh. urge obviously everyone listening to uh check out We Are Still Here, uh which is um on video on demand and also screening in certain selected cinemas around the country. So if uh-huh. it's screening near you do check it out. Uh but thanks so much for talking to us again, uh Barbara today. It's always a pleasure. And uh, and hopefully every sort of three or four years we can check back in with you and <laughs> talk about what's Thank coming you. on with you. That's fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Anytime. Ask me anything anytime. All right. Thanks, Barbara. You take care now and have a good evening. Thank you, too. Okay, bye-bye. Hi. I hope you're enjoying this episode of A Real Horror Show. Haven't we got some fantastic guests? Well, we would love to continue to provide you this show every month with this kind of high-quality, awesome guest list, as well as providing exclusive content such as Q&As from film screenings and maybe even video content and upgrading our equipment and being able to expand the brand and promote the brand and really make this podcast the go-to show for people who are into and love passionately the horror film genre and we can only do that with your support and your kind help so if you love the show and you'd really like to help us out please go over to patreon.com forward slash a real horror show and pledge your support today for as little as just a dollar per episode uh, you can show us and support us and push us to bigger and better things and greater heights within the world of horror podcasting and web content in general We will also be offering some great rewards as time goes on, including subscriptions to the magazines, free copies of the magazines, exclusive content, etc. So please go over to patreon.com forward slash a real horror show and sponsor us today. Thanks. And now an interview with Barbara Crampton's co-star in the fantastic We Are Still Here, the awesomely talented and an incredibly lovely guy. It's Andrew Sensenick. All oh, right, excellent. Well, um, yeah, just a yeah. few questions then um, about sure. uh, we are still here and uh, yourself. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, obviously, looking looking at your career, you started acting um, just only a few years ago. You've been very prolific since then. But uh, what what was the first uh, impulse to get into uh, uh, performing and acting? Oh my gosh, it's a very long story. Short is. I, as as a young kid, I acted and uh, did a lot of music. I'm a composer as well, uh, and but however, and I went to acting school for college and things. But then I got married, and I felt the need and desire to be a good husband and father, and just worked in the real world. I did computer work and investment banking and other things. And when my youngest, my wife and I have two daughters, and when my youngest daughter turned 16, my wife said, you have been a great father. Uh, Your girls are grown up. You need to go back to your dream. You need to go be an actor. And I thought she was insane. 
And I said, you're, you're nuts. But, <laughs> but if you, if you support me, then I'll go give it a try. And she said, gosh, she said, I don't care. I'll sell the house. We can live in a van. It doesn't matter. And so it was entirely out of her support that I even just gave it a chance at all about it. And that was about seven years ago. And, and then with her continued encouragement and support and uh, the grace of God, and uh, it's, it's been a pretty, pretty exciting seven years. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, if anyone looks down your resume, they can see some uh, really fantastic films you've been involved in. And uh, obviously it's a, it's a mix between um, sort of large studio things as well as independent films and things. Yeah. Do you have any um, particular stories from the last seven years that, that stand out and that were sort of uh, pinch-me moments or life-altering moments? Oh, my gosh. Um they're honestly all life-pinching moments, the fact that you can make a good living, take care of your family, and help others, directors, writers, help them tell their stories. It's an incredible blessing. Uh, the, you know, some of the few things that you look back at might be uh, the film Upstream Color that uh, just... To this day, I get emails literally every single day from people that are discovering the movie and have called it one of the best independent films ever made. And, uh, and then you move on to opportunities such as playing a bionic superhero in Sony PlayStation's first original series, Powers. Uh, you look at that and you think, oh my gosh, what? that's a serious pinch me. Yeah. Because uh, as a kid, I'm growing up and I read comic books and, and think, oh, how cool would that be if you're an actor and you could just play a superhero? And then when it came along, I ended up getting the opportunity and you know, we start up season two here in, uh, in, a, in a little bit. And it, it's just... It's, uh, the, the way you described it, it's pinch me. It's yeah. like, it, even that's where I'm at a loss for words because you you stop and play, and then just think, oh, what? Are you kidding me? You're playing a superhero in <laughs> one of the world's biggest uh, gaming companies and uh, entertainment companies, and it's their very first original drama, and you're you're a guy that's a bionic superhero. It's like, what? Get out of here! <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. And then, things, and then things like we are still here, which uh, ha- has gotten surprisingly in just amazing critical acclaim. The you know none of us when we were doing it, we were having a good time and thought this is a really special movie. Uh, and it's got a lot of attributes that are different from others these days, and and we think people will like it, and yet. The result has just been staggering. Yeah. To you know, be one of the continuing, uh, the most watched films on video on demand on Amazon, iTunes, uh, on your local cable on demand. So, I mean, honestly, to tell you the truth, I, I pretty much pinch myself every day. Yeah. No, I can imagine. Yeah. So 
sorry for the long answer to a simple question, but it's uh, it. I still I stutter with uh, what words to put to it because it just doesn't necessarily make sense. But the opportunity to help people tell their stories is such such an incredible delight. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking about we are still here. Uh, I think mm-hmm. something like that, and I think the, the, there have been, I don't know, maybe a couple of handfuls, let's say, in the last few years of horror films like We Are Still Here uh, or genre films like that that are getting um, the critical attention uh, when, they, when they're on demand or have limited cinematic release because a lot of the, the horror that we have seen, uh, the, the genre as the studios have been putting it out has become you know, either uh, uh, found footage stuff, uh, demon possession right. stuff, or um, yeah. uh, uh, remakes. And, and the core horror audience, while they'll go see that, will has also, I think, become quite tired of it. So something like yeah. We Are Still Here comes out that is, you know, atmospheric and builds its tension and builds its scares and is um, intelligent with it and has interesting twists and turns, something like that is going to make the the uh, um, community, the horror community, kind of sit up uh, and take Absolutely. notes. Yeah. You know, as, as uh, I was talking to Barbara before, as something like Your Next had done uh, previously... Yes. Um, and 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 films like that. So how did you how did you get involved with We Are Still Here then in the first place? Uh, yeah, um, it's a good question, and the, it's the beauty of social media because I I had done Upstream Color, which again, you know, for whatever reason, it's just, there are many many people that think it's just such an an amazing film, and I, I, if you haven't seen it, don't worry about it. Uh, but anyway, the the producer Travis Stevens had posted something on Twitter about how incredible he thought Upstream Color was. I think he said it's like you know the greatest movie of the century, and I replied to his tweet, and then about two days later, I got a phone call. And it was him and Ted Gagan, the director, and they said, oh, hey, we saw, uh, we just wanted to talk to you about this new movie we've got, and we think you might be good for one of the roles, and we wanted to see if you would be interested. And they sent me the script, and I read the script, and the parts, I, I, I was absolutely stunned because it was, it was, uh, it wasn't new necessarily, but it was just, it was just, Honest. It was a real honest, you know, haunted house ghost movie. And as you said, Hollywood, the big studio films, they're they're just moving away. They're doing things that say, come on, guys, let's just get back to basics. And I called the guys back and uh, we had a very long discussion about the script and the role. And that was on Friday in. I think back uh, in December of that year, and they, and they said, "Oh, okay, great talking to you. We'll be in touch." And I sweated the entire weekend, and I told my wife, "Oh, oh gosh, I hope I can." I, I don't even know if they're interested. I don't even if they want an audition. Yeah. What are we going to do? I said, "I really like this." And then I got a call on Monday, and it was Travis Stevens, the producer, and 
He said, oh, we, we just wanted you to sweat out the weekend. We knew we wanted you before we even called you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, you know, and then we, and we had a terrific time because Travis, uh, over the last couple of years, basically everything he's touched has really, pardon the cliche, but has turned to gold. And and then you, and he was so helpful with Ted Gagan. Uh, there's a very first film that Ted's directed. He's written a bunch. He's had films made. He's been a film publicist for years. But this one, uh, he was able to bring to life, and it, uh, it seriously took Travis's help. But it was good. Travis was was just great. So anyway, again, another long answer to. Uh, it was because of Twitter. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, that's the way it, it sometimes happens. And, uh, you know, it's the same for me when I'm pulling together interviews or trying to do an interesting of show. Of course, uh, yeah. Right, uh, You exactly. know, that's, you can meet people that way. Um, so was uh, the horror genre, the thriller genre, was when you entered um, filmmaking, was that, was that uh, part of the goal or was it just that horror tends to be a great independent genre and a good place for people to sort of uh, uh, get get good acting roles in? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a, a tough question to answer, be, to answer because I just really feel, as I said earlier, incredibly honored to help writers, directors bring their stories to life, yeah. whether it's horror or comedy uh, drama, thriller, anything else, I'm just excited to be there. And But there was something about this. I, I, I'm trying to... Uh, prior to that, I think I had done, oh, one or two horror films, but they got... They received some local attention, nothing major, and... This was the first one that I, on the film, I ended up meeting so many people who were really connected in this incredible fan base community of the horror genre. Yeah. And, and I've just come to like that. And then, I've, as I told you earlier, I'm working on that series for Sony PlayStation Powers, and that's the comic book genre. Yeah. So, it, you know, all of a sudden, within a year's time, I am spending my life doing comic book and horror films and TV shows and going to these conventions and, and thinking, oh, my gosh, these, these people are amazing. Yeah, no, they're the passionate fans, those two genres in particular. Exactly. That's where you're going to find them. Yeah, Exactly right. And, they're, they're, um, and it's almost as if passion isn't a strong enough word, but they, they just they live it. They breathe it. They just... You know, and and I picture them sitting at home, like tonight, the Saturday night. I want people to go out on iTunes or Amazon and and watch. We are still here, and then and, and just let them get excited about it. Yeah, and and they do. It's it. it no, like definitely. I was I was it, very lucky to see it on the big screen, which was. It's oh, just where fantastic. did you see it? Where did you uh, watch I, it? I saw it in New York. The two nights it was screening in New York, I saw it down at the uh, Cinema Village, and Ted Ted oh, Gagan was actually a, there. So yeah, it was great. That's a fantastic venue too. I love that theater, and uh, yeah, that's that's wonderful. And it, I've seen the movie now probably five times or something, and I still 
I will try to get together with friends or family, and I'll watch it again. There's something about it. It moves. It starts slow, but not slow in the sense that you're not interested. Yeah. It just it begins and it draws you in, and then and then boom, boom, boom. I mean, it's it's one of those few films that uh, that I could watch over and over. Yeah, and I've uh-huh. done, you know, I've done I've done a hundred films in six years or something, and, and then commercials and voiceover and all all the other things. But this is this is one of the maybe two or three that I would choose to watch again, and it's just so much fun, and it's fun to to sit and witness people's reactions because once. I describe it as a roller coaster. You're going along, you're going up and down, and then you get to that really, really high part, and it comes over the edge, and you start to drop. That's what happens in the third, in the last twenty minutes of this film. Oh my gosh, it's just, it's just insane, and it's so much fun to watch people's reactions. Yeah. I loved where it ended up. I loved where the story went. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed that you got both the kind of uh, slow, intelligent, atmospheric stuff at the beginning and then the, you know, fun, more sort of 80s splatter horror type stuff towards the end. And I love right. a movie that can straddle both sides of things like that. I enjoy that. And, 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 and you're correct, my friend. It straddles bro- both sides. But then it ends on this note that, uh, I mean, that, I mean, not to give anything. Well, you've seen it, so I don't have to give anything away. But right. you end you end on a note where it goes back to that intelligent thriller horror. Yes, completely. Uh, and and it makes people wonder. So, oh my gosh, what's coming next? Right. For, no, the ending is lovely and eerie and uh, uh, right. sort of a question mark. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It. it uh, and and I just chalk that up to the very. <laughs> tremendous brilliance of Travis Stevens and uh, and Ted who directed and then and then a lot of credit really goes to Kareem Hussein, the director of photography. Oh yeah, because he, he did the three of those. Travis, Kareem, and Ted collaborated so much to for every single scene, just to make it all because. You've got this first element that is so different from the horror films today is you are centered around a middle-aged couple. And we're not teenagers that are going on a summer camp trip and go into the cabin with no electricity and knives everywhere and axe murderers, you know, in the next tent. Right. So immediately you start as you said, with this sort of intelligent, uh, but it doesn't placate to your, uh, it, it doesn't dumb down in any way. No. Because even when Paul and Anne show up at this house, you still go through, you see this grieving process. You see just things that are natural. You see this couple that, uh, and we've had so many different reviews that, that talk about how it looks like Paul and Anne have really known each other. Well, both and I met each other the night before. We started filming at 6 a.m. the next morning. And yeah. we knew, I had no idea. She didn't know who I was. I didn't know who she was. But it just clicked. So we were able to somehow 
just drop into this grieving couple um, and get things started. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the first element of that is that you, you're, you're centered around a middle-aged couple that is dealing with grief. And, and then you add these other elements, their friends come in. Uh, but I mean, you, so the, it's very, very interesting where the teenage side of it, quote unquote, is only with the young kids that show up for a little bit of the movie. And then unfortunately they don't quite make it. Right. (laughs) No, exactly. They don't, they don't turn up and be the saviors that they could be, you know, because they may be younger, physically faster or stronger or whatever it is. They don't turn up to be the the heroes that they, they, they might be. They, like you say, it kind of subverts it there. So, I mean, a couple of questions that come off the back of that. I mean, firstly, okay. um, let's start with the, with the character, Paul. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. I talked to Barbara in depth about, about her character, and she was saying how she had spoken to women who had suffered, unfortunately, the same fate that her character had done and so on uh, in preparation for the film. Something, and, and I was talking also about the, the uh, difficulty uh, her character has of not coming off as sort of just completely one note and morbid and sad and upset, but right. rather having these right. tones in it. And, and with your character, I felt that the tightrope you walked was that you are, you're certainly not expressing the grief in the same way that Anne is, um, and, but because you are having to stay uh, strong and to some extent right. slightly more positive for her. Yes. But you've also right. got to not come across as flippant. You can't come across as you're having this great time and your wife's grieving. <laughs> you've got to come across as <laughs> right. obviously feeling uh, uh, the same grief, but the audience has got to understand that you are being positive and, and slightly a, a stronger rock for your wife than than being able to just freely show your grief. How difficult was yes. that? And what were the other challenges in playing Paul? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, I, I, I don't want to sound flippant using your word at all, but uh, it was actually very easy because what I focused on was simply reacting to her. Mm not i didn't do i did not go interview others i think barbara's performance and what she did before she was spectacular and it made it easy for me to simply know okay i'm the husband i mean me personally i have two grown daughters and all i had to do was picture anything seriously happening to them and what it would do to me right that's it that's that's all i needed and then the rest of it was honestly just bouncing off of Barbara. Just whatever she was doing, I reacted to her, whether it was a look or an emotion or the words. Uh, and some people have sent me quotes and things from different reviews. At, uh, the fact is saying that you've got this couple that they don't even have to say anything. There's just a look. There's just a touch on the shoulder. There's just, and that it felt so real. Yeah. And I have to give credit to Barbara for that because I honestly just, just reacted. Just, I was there. I was a grieving father, but I knew that if I didn't appear strong, if I crumbled, 
she was going to disintegrate. Yeah. So it's one of those that, and, and within the script, we don't ever see Paul off by himself. No. But the reality is, is that Paul is, when he goes off by himself, he is breaking down. He is distraught, heartbroken, everything. But when he comes back in, he knows that if he showed that side of him to Barbara, then it's over because she's just, she's just such a mess. Yeah. And no, the strength of the uh, chemistry between you guys and the strength of performance on both sides really. Well, I mean, because it makes or breaks the film. If you're not grounded in the reality of the film to begin with, then everything fantastical that happens post that doesn't play out correctly. You have to be grounded in this fantastic uh, uh, couple and and the, the, the backstory that is unseen but spoken throughout the film and explained throughout the film. Um, and and right. so, uh, yeah, I mean... It, the performance you and Barbara both gave was 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 amazing, and uh, oh, I really no, I I really I really did enjoy the film and uh, and and your performances in particular, and I was the second question that 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 our previous discussion brought up in my head was, you know, you're working with um, three you know great genre icons in in Barbara Crampton, mm-hmm. Lisa Marie, and Larry <laughs> Fessenden. I mean, of just course. just yeah, a exactly. wonderful ensemble. Um, and Barbara, you know, she's just come back into uh, the genre, but obviously has had a right. fan base for quite some time and is just a fantastic uh, actress and, and person. So what was it like working with those three? And um, and uh, what are some of the stories on set about that? Oh, oh gosh. I don't think we have enough time in the world for all the fun <laughs> stories. But um, it's... And, and you hear it's it's really funny in a sense that I I watch shows I go to awards programs I do and and you hear people say oh these were some of the most special people I've ever worked with and what a great crew and da, 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 da. and then you go yeah 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 sure yada 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 but in this circumstance for what and I don't know why actually I will give the credit to Travis and Ted Gagan in their casting because they they went about casting in a very different way than most films. And because of that, it worked for them. Seeing that uh, when Barbara and I got together, it was, and not cliche at all, it was as if we had grown up together. We It just clicked. Yeah. And we we shot the film for four weeks. The first two weeks were just Barbara and me. And then Larry and Lisa came in for the second two weeks. And when they showed up, the same thing. You would have thought we had all been in, in preschool together and grown up. I mean, for, it, it just, for whatever reason... What Ted and Travis did in their casting, they managed to grab four people that they knew were just going to hit it off. And you're absolutely correct in that those three are icons in the horror genre. Me, I'm, you know, I, I mean, I've only been acting for six years, so mine was totally different. And I learned a lot from them as far as the horror community and, and how the fans work and and just what you 
you know, just how excited people will be and the love you will get. But all that said, it, it, there were four people that it's so, so strange because I, I've done so many films, but yet this is the first one where I ended up with working with three other people that we really, we were just buddies. And they, we would be off screen working on lines or talking. And honestly, my friend, it was no different than we were on screen. Yeah. It was the exact same stuff. We were just being ourselves. Nobody was acting. It was, we, we just did ourselves. Just Ted, Gagan, the director, allowed us, if we felt that a word was awkward or a line was awkward, then he said, we'll change it. And and Travis, the producer, the same type of thing. What do you guys need? Hey, what, 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 let's do this. You just want the room? And, and sometimes the four of us would just sit in the living room there, and we would just talk. But pretty much in between every shot, we just sat and just talked. Yeah. And then we'd, we'd start the scene, and nothing changed. Nobody went into it. Well, I mean, obviously, if people see the film, they will see that certain people within that foursome do make some changes. Yes. <laughs> As I say, Larry, Larry can't stay the way he was all the time, surely. <laughs> no. Oh, booger. And that guy, I'm not sure I've ever met. I'm trying to think. I mean, I've only been in this industry a short time compared to everybody else. So it's, uh, but I'm not sure I've ever met a more, Gifted yet humble man than Larry, because that guy just—I don't know. I've, again, I've watched the film five times. He is my favorite. Uh, he's and he just nails that role. Yeah. Just nails it. But he's—he's he's a regular dude. Just when I was saying when the camera would cut. We would sit there and we'd all just talk and talk and talk and then say, "Okay, action, let's go," and we do it again. But and, but there was no difference. We were just friends. Yeah. So, if anything, again, the, uh, another long story short, but if anything, I give credit to Travis and Ted because they they went about their casting in a different but uh, a different way, but in a way that. My gosh, it's it's one that I will definitely use in the future. I mean, you just go after people that you've watched in different projects, and you don't do the auditions. You don't you don't put them on tape. You don't. You just look at people where you watch their work, you respect their work, and you think they'll they will work together well. And then you call them up and have conversations. Yeah, and you learn a lot from that. Because, I mean, it feels like the movie could almost be as riveting and interesting if it was just the case of a middle-aged couple who, have, uh, who are in grief who invite this slightly, you know, left-field couple <laughs> up to hang with them or visit them or whatever. You could make right. a, a drama out of that and make it just as a, sort of, you know, a drama comedy, just as sort of interesting and, you know, revelatory as, as it has to have the horror, horror elements or anything. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that uh, Ted and his writing partner did so well with this script is it just seems real. Yeah. I mean, it actually seems like this could happen. 
And in so many of the hard things that I see that these days, it they just like, yeah, okay, that's. I mean, you know, okay, we can. I enjoy watching Saw and, and Insidious and these others, but some of these deaths and things, they just, you know, okay, that's not going to happen. And we are still here. It so much of that stuff. You think, oh my gosh, that could really happen. Yeah, I th- I think that the horror has sadly become a lot of uh, jump scares. That seems to be what people go for, is this idea of, well, every 10 minutes the audience all have to go, <gasps> or, like, scream or jump yeah. or something because yeah. a cat leaps on a windowsill or because someone makes a scary CGI-enhanced face or something. Uh, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm kind of cynical about where the genre is a little bit. No, 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 no. you're, <laughs> but, you're uh, exactly right. And my, my, my wife, you know, we've been married over 30 years, and she's still the most beautiful woman in the world and she does not like horror films simply because that she knows there are going to be jump scares she really really enjoys we are still here she has watched it i don't think i've watched it five times i think she's maybe watched it four times but she is more than happy to sit and watch it again and again because it's it's just such a different type it's uh methodical, realistic, it draws you in. And there are a couple of moments where you uh, you don't necessarily jump, but uh, it's hard for me to describe because I, I just don't get scared by stuff. I don't do the jump scares. I mean, right. somebody can walk up behind me and grab my throat or something. I just turn around and go, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but no, but I think you're right that there's an emphasis on every 10 minutes, let's make people pee their pants and and then move on. And so that's where this is special. Yeah, I think that there's, uh, I don't mind a jump scare if it comes at the end of some well-crafted tension. But I think exactly. what We Are Still yeah. Here does is build that tension you know, the moment Barbara Crampton first goes down into the basement, the, the first time you see her go down into the basement, right. Right. you you immediately, because you're a horror movie fan or you're watching a horror movie, you're like, oh, okay, here it comes. But the nice thing is, right. is it doesn't. It's this very slow burn, this very slow build, these very uh, tiny analog effects with the baseball and some other things happening, yeah. which just are slightly unsettling. Because like you say, it could just be one of the townsfolk has come into the, the uh, house and is just walking around upstairs, or it could be the ghost, or it could be her husband, or it could be a number of things. Nothing is yes. happening at that point that is so fantastical. that, that uh, But it just puts you on edge. You're suddenly aware, okay, there's a spooky basement. You're then constantly aware for the rest of the movie that there's this rumbling furnace this uh, basement and right. that that's happening and it just um it just adds to all the scenes that then come later and it it just builds well it, it a horror exactly. film needs to be yeah. like a good joke it needs to it needs to build and then have the punchline you can't just be it can't all be punchline you know? no you you are so spot on with that where what Travis and Ted were able to do is is make it very uh, as a lot of people use slow burn. I don't know that I'm crazy about that because it is somewhat of a cliche. However, you you do unsettling. That was the word you used. It was it was the best. Yeah. Where something happens in the basement, 
and then you hear a sound, and it's just it's just unsettling enough that you can't quite relax, and so you're slightly on edge as it builds and builds and builds, and then you get to that third act where it just goes crazy nuts. Yeah, it was so much fun to be a part of. I mean, I mean, I I love what I do. I'm very very honored and blessed to do what I do, but. This was one of those films that, even with it being, I think on a, one of our good days, it got above zero. I was going to ask about the filming, yes, because obviously it looked like a very frigid, cold winter. What was that like? Oh, was my like? gosh. Oh, i got to tell you. my. So Barbara and I met, I can't remember. Let's, let's say we met on a Tuesday night. I show up and go to the hotel, and we took over an entire Mormon hotel in Palmyra, New York, because in Palmyra, it's right by where, I guess, John, and forgive me, I don't know a whole lot about Mormonism, but I guess it's it's very, I think it's where John Smith discovered the plates or did something or whatever. In the summertime, it's a, people make pilgrimages to Palmyra, New York. Yeah. But in the wintertime, there's nobody there. So the film production took over this hotel. And the hotel was wonderful to work with us, except if anybody wanted to have a party or do anything, we had to close off the sliding doors because you really weren't supposed to drink in public or have fun. So you had to you had to close off the sliding doors and sit in a separate room, which I'm sure that... I, I would go to bed and, and work on my lines, but I think the crew was pretty much up all night and in the hot tub. Anyway, so <laughs> we're in this environment in late January and most of February, and the first day that Barbara and I worked together, we went out there at, a, I think it was 7.30 or 8.00. The sun was coming up because it was winter time up north, so the sun was coming up early, and they put us in this old Mercedes, and the heater didn't work, and the outside windshield was twenty. It was either twenty-four or twenty-eight below zero. And so those first scenes that you see in the movie, driving down the road, coming up the driveway into the house, there was no heat in this car, and we were just. I mean, and maybe it's a great way for Barbara and I that we bonded because we were both in misery together. <laughs> and and in the house, they didn't have any heat. So the only heat came from two wood-burning fireplaces, one in the living room and one over in a sitting room. Uh, we all spent a lot of time around those uh, because it was it was just insanely cold. I mean, to the point that we had cameramen that would have to come inside and warm their hands. They were getting frostbite. Uh, but it worked perfectly for the movie because, I mean, you could you would have spent a fortune if you tried to do that in California or any place else to just make it look that way. Right, of course. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, but, you know, those situations are ones that Barbara and I, we stay in, in very close contact, and we laugh about it. We just, 
crack up to think, hey, what a great way to meet. You're sitting in, at 7 a.m. in the front seat of an old Mercedes with no heat, and it's 22 below outside. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's going to make you, uh, you know, that's going to give you a friend for life once you've gone through experiences like that. And, uh, you know, that's exactly. enough. I think that's the other thing that makes the, especially with all the conventions now and everything else that's going on, I think that's what makes the uh, community, makes it a community versus. Just, uh, I think if you were on, if people routinely do big budget movies, the thing is, is that they tend to all be in their trailers, right? That tends to be the thing. Yes. And therefore, there's too much temptation that when the director calls cut, that they just go back to their trailers and never sort of interact, apart from with their friends or their, their colleagues, actually. Um, well, you know, you're and, so right. and you hear people all the time, people I've interviewed for, for various shows and things say things like, oh, he was a real pro. He stayed on set and did his feed lines because there are clearly some actors who don't <laughs> right. even do their feed lines. They go back to the trailer and have some PA do it. Right. So right. Uh, when you're I think what independent filmmaking does and you look at any of the great independent horror movies of the last 35 years. That's that's what you hear from them. You hear about the bonding experience, and you hear about it's Barbara Crampton and the Stuart Gordon group, and her friendship right. with Jeffrey Combs and people like that. It's the Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, Evil Dead group. Yeah. You know, there's any number of those people who have you know uh, uh, progressed as a community, and I think that's what certainly me as a fan and, and as a film fan in general brings me coming back time and time again. I think. I I agree. I, I agree completely. And if any. Uh, uh, I've got a couple of good friends and, and, and one very dear friend that's out of Houston is a film director and she just she just went to Canada and shot a film for about eight weeks and uh, and she called me and said she said Andrew this is so great because in Canada where we are nobody has trailers nobody has dressing rooms nobody does so so everybody's together all the time yeah. It's just the way it works. It's different in America. The I'm, I'm sorry, in the United States, they every the, the actor. So, like even you know, but even on something like we are still here, they get Barbara's got a big trailer. I've got my own big trailer, but we never spent any time in it because we just all wanted to hang out together. Yeah, <laughs> because we were having so much fun. But you're exactly right that. You, and maybe, gosh, wow, that's a very interesting perspective because that obviously has to lead to the chemistry with the people, whether it's crew or actors. If if you just leave after every cut, if people leave and then come back, then they're not connecting. No, It's those moments in between the shots that, you connect and talk and learn about each other and just and that God, wow actually that's that's strange I, I had not really even thought about that well yeah but, but, I, I mean Barbara, you're exactly right Barbara described it in in her interview that that in a weird way she knew that if the the, the basis of your relationship uh, in the movie she knew she had to sort of fall in love with you a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like that had to happen uh, over right. the course of the, the filming and the, the, uh, the, the um, behind the scenes and everything in order for right. that to come across on the screen. And you can't do that from separate 
you know separate uh, areas you know you can only do if you yeah. like hanging out and um especially you're, when so much of the film oh, that's yeah. all it hangs on you know yeah you're exactly right and when you say that i picture the times that uh our most comfortable place in the house was in the sitting room. It had the wood-burning fire stove uh, just in front of us. There was this really comfortable couch, and Barbara and I would just sit there and just talk. We'd talk about our kids, uh, our spouses, our lives, and we just talked and talked. And I, and I would, I would absolutely agree with her. You, there is a sense where you, you really become connected. And yeah. as she said, I mean, you're going to fall a little bit in love. And, uh, and she and I stayed, I mean, almost daily contact, if, I mean, at least five, six times a week, if it's not a phone call or an email or something, uh, because it's just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just what makes for a good movie. And then you, it, you become a, a really great friend and, you know, and it's, uh, one of the benefits of doing those type of things is that you do have another comrade in the industry that you can you can call. You can uh, lay your head on their shoulder. You can you you can cry in front of them. You can laugh in front of them. Yeah. Because even like a film like We Are Still Here, you can see both Ann and Paul are very vulnerable, yeah. incredibly vulnerable. And when you're actors, you can do that. You can do it, and it looks really crappy for crappy and fake, or you can do it, and it looks honest and real. Yeah. And the the barber was just so natural with the things that we would have those nightmares. We're in bed together, and you would grab each other and and just squeeze the heck out of each other and cry, and and you were able to do that. Yeah. There was no, you didn't worry about, oh, when they say cut, is she going to jump up and leave and go, ah, I can't believe he he got makeup on my shirt. Or right. You know, there was nothing <laughs> like that. Yeah, but be surprised because I've been there, done that, where you end up with somebody that goes, ah, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. She, that's, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. But those are the things, again, that go back to what people have been saying about the film they like, is that just as you said, that the, uh, these four friends—they're—they're they're real friends. They're, yeah. you know, they—and they just happen to fall into a circumstance that is a little haunting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, to say the least. So, um, <laughs> so going forward, then, um, what are uh, what what can we look forward to from you? I mean, obviously, you've got a long lineup of uh, projects coming up, but uh, what can we look forward to? What can you tell us about? And um, also, what are some things that you would personally like to do in the industry that you haven't done yet, and you're looking forward to making that happen? Okay. Well, you gave me several questions there. Sorry, um, <laughs> all in one thing. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're you're good. I I, I enjoy talking with you. Um, what's coming up? The uh, the thing I basically am trying to do is uh, spend a little bit of downtime. Uh, but we're going to start up season two of Powers. I don't know if you even know anything about that. I mean, I mentioned it a little bit when we started, but it's the uh, superhero show on the Sony PlayStation's first original drama. 
and I play the bionic superhero Trip Hammer. So we are going to start that up here in late summer. Oh, yeah, and it's got uh, a great I've cast, got... Shalto Copley and Eddie Izzard and oh, Michelle Forbes yeah, and okay. Taylor. Yeah, great cast, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, t- there you go. Thank you for doing the research. I appreciate that. I get so many interviews, and people have no idea. So I, I honestly appreciate you doing that. Yeah, it's an amazing cast, uh, amazing cast. And the, the showrunners uh, this year, we're going to have the two – Originators of the comics, Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Oming, Michael Avon Oming, the two guys that started the comic back in 1990. Uh, Brian is he's the he's the story writer. Michael is the uh, the animator, the illustrator, and both of them are going to be heavily involved in this season. It's going to be uh, they're moving in a much darker stylized direction, making it feel that if, if you, and, I, and, and it's not a problem if you haven't, but for people who have watched the series, they would probably notice that between the first episode and the last episode, it, it evolved. It became darker and more stylized and, and that's what the fans seemed to love. And Sony was... Uh, obviously very happy because their numbers were bigger than anything they've ever done. Uh, the production company, Circle of Confusion, uh, they did Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, you know, which are shows that we all know. I mean, they're household names now. Yeah. And the Power Series had bigger numbers coming out of the gate than any of those shows did. So we'll see. What, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I've got a couple little independent films I'm going to do some things in in between here over the next uh, two months before we get kicked off again with Powers and, but when you do a, a series like that you're, you're pretty well committed you know that will take six or seven months so you, you don't you don't get a lot of opportunity to do other things yeah. but I'm hoping to do a prequel or a sequel to We Are Still Here. <laughs> yeah, that would be incredible. Mm-hmm. It definitely lends itself to either, in fact. Exactly. Exactly. You're so smart because when we were working as you know, being a selfish actor, hmm. I want there to be a sequel. <laughs> but, to be, but to be perfectly honest, I think the prequel could be more interesting because that house comes alive every 30 years. So, you know, you see the ghost in this one, they were the family in the previous one. So what is their story? Right. You know, I mean, you're exactly right. It's such a self-thought for, oh my gosh, you could go back 30 years. You could go back. 180 years. You go six generations. You could go forward. I mean, it's, there's a lot that could be done there. And I absolutely believe that uh, Ted Dagan, the writer and director of this one, he will be asked to do another film. He yeah. just, he just really, really impressed. I mean, it's still, it's still 92 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think, yeah. which is crazy for a horror film. It's crazy, crazy. 
No, that's really, really great. And, uh, I mean, you could do a prequel because you could have We Are Here, but I don't know what the sequel would be. We Are we are Still Still Here? I don't know what the sequel would be. Uh, what would you do? We are, we are, no, you're exactly. You get to We Are Here. We Remain we are Here? here. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a good question. I'm going to have to think about that one. Something like, uh, yes, we are still here, or uh, or I don't know. You could that's have, a, oh, a, you could have We Were Here. Yes, there you go. If we you were to have here. a sequel and carry on with you and Barbara as characters moving beyond whatever happens, let's just put it that way, um, if you were to do that, you could have, you know, We Were Here, I guess. You could. You could. And, and as you say <laughs> that, too, it, it sparked in my mind that, I think Ted and Travis have hit on something where there is this incredible baby boomer audience that grew up with Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth and you know those things that we they watched back in the seventies, and they want great horror films, but they wanted about people their age. So I, I really hope that uh, Ted and Travis continue to do something because there is, I mean, I, I look at that. I, I, I would much rather watch We Are Still Here looking at a couple of that age than, the, as we already mentioned many times earlier in this call, the, the other, you know, I don't want to watch the, the cheerleaders that go from the high school football game and get drunk and then get, killed by an axe murder. Right. Oh, what? You know, okay. Well, that's the thing is, I mean, I'm 35, so they call me a millennial. I don't quite know what that means, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Game of age around the millennium, I guess, is what they mean. But um, the the period of time that you can tolerate or enjoy the 18 to 20-year-olds go to a cabin movies... Uh, a really, it's really very short. By the time you sort of, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I was I was married in my late twenties, and by the time you start to uh, form your own relationships and form your own, uh, um, and all my friends are married and have kids and everything else, by the time you start doing that, uh, you're not really interested in what the cheerleader from high school is is doing anymore. That's not really, what, and it's this right. idea that all movies are geared towards teenagers doesn't really make a lot of sense because you're a teenager for such a short period of your life you know it's really not oh my gosh, uh, right, relevant right. or important much beyond that and we also grew up we were also a generation that although we were just being born when those movies came out we are the vhs dvd blu-ray generation so all those movies halloween right. and uh, uh friday the 13th and uh, evil dead and and um, reanimator and movies like that we all saw on on uh, vhs or we saw on tv late at night or whatever it was we grew up with all those films like in in that way and, um, you know, we, we want to see, I, you know, I like seeing older people. I like, uh, I like seeing uh, 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 people that I can relate to that are in families or relationships or whatever it is. I like yeah. to see different aged people. For some reason, people on TV nowadays are either 60 or they're 15. There's no <laughs> middle ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, kind of I a bit agree. of... And, I, and I, I agree. And I think that's where Ted and, and Travis really found a, a, a wonderful, wonderful middle ground 
that is relatable on so many levels, not just the age thing, but the story, the, it, you know, they, they just, they hit it. And I'm, I'm so excited for them. They're such great guys. I don't, have you ever met either of them, Travis or Ted? Or? I met Ted at the screening uh, briefly after the, the oh, movie. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. He's, and you know, and if you met him, I mean, I can only imagine he probably seems super, super shy and humble, which he is, because he's one of those guys that that has no idea how much talent he has. He just it it just exudes out of him, and 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 at the same time he's also the best friend to probably four hundred people. Because yeah. that's just him. That's his personality. That he is just he he just he will give you the shirt off his back. He loves what he's doing. He he uh, he can be awkwardly shy, but he is. I don't know. I I will work with him any day of the week. Any day of the week. That could be a guy that would call me up and say, oh, I, you know, i got to do this film, and I I don't have any money. And I say, okay, I'll come do it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how these great things get made. That's how, like I say, that's how the community continues to grow is by those kind of mm-hmm. characters. Um, and yes. uh, so long may, long may it be thus. All right. Thanks so much. Really, really great talking to you. Yeah, good talking to you too as well, sir. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye now. Well, that was our episode for this month. Thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks everyone who took part. Uh, I really do hope you've enjoyed that. Next month, we'll be coming to you with a fantastic roundtable all about Hammer Horror films, uh, where we'll have some filmmakers and some scholars who know all about Hammer Horror uh, talking to us about some new releases, uh, which Diabolique was at the forefront of getting released uh, with WB. Uh, So look forward to that. That will be coming out, uh, hopefully, within the next four weeks. And if you've enjoyed this show and you want to get the show either more frequently or if you want to get uh, even more guests on the show or if you just want to sponsor us and say thank you please go over again to patreon.com forward slash a real horror show that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com by the way forward slash a real horror show and pledge as low as a dollar an episode that would be fantastic thanks ever so much that's our show see you next month Diabolique, the premier horror genre magazine, is jam-packed with exclusive photos and interviews, insightful commentary, criticism, reviews, featured articles from acclaimed horror writers, and much more in full colour. Every two months you are presented with an indispensable and lavishly illustrated collector's magazine made by and for the enthusiastic horror genre fans. Also, visit DiaboliqueMagazine.com and get VIP access to all of the biggest names in the horror industry. Diabolique brings you the first look and the last word, including fresh analysis to subjects old and new, foreign and domestic, from ancient folklore and gothic classics to contemporary horror film releases and modern literary gems. Also explore DiaboliqueMagazine.com to start a subscription to the magazine today for exclusive online content, podcasts, and so much more.